Hello, Faithful Breakfast Theology listeners. We have some news that we want to share with you guys. We are going to be officially ending Breakfast Theology on episode 100. We've had a great run. We've nearly had 50 or 60 hours of runtime overall. That means you could listen to Breakfast Theology for two and a half days straight if you want to. We just feel like there are other ministries and opportunities available to us, and that Breakfast Theology, while it has been a great thing, is no longer something that we can support with the same love and care that we used to. We wanted to give you guys a heads up so that as we approach episode 100, you know where we are going, so there's no surprises. And we'd still love to hear from you guys and interact, and we're not saying that Breakfast Theology will never be a thing again, but for now we've decided to end it with honor by giving it 100 good episodes. Please, if you have any questions or comments about this, feel free to reach out to us at breakfasttheology at gmail.com. We would still love to hear from you. And now, back to the normal episode. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Breakfast Theology. <clears throat> Scratch your throat this morning. Yeah. Josiah Kane and Chuck this morning. It's all with you. <laughs> Isaac is on vacation, enjoying some time away from us. Some, yeah, two mischievous members. Uh, this morning I had another classic burrito. I've been on a classic burrito kick. It's a, just a very simple, delicious meal with hash browns on the side. It's hard to go wrong. A few cups of coffee, some water. It's a good way to start a morning. Well, I did the Colorado omelet, which I suppose is supposed to make you think it's somewhere similar to a Denver omelet, but no, not quite. What is a Denver omelet? That's uh, eggs. Bacon, no, no, ham, peppers, and onions. Okay. Is there a special sauce or anything? No. Okay. It's just the peppers that make it special. Green peppers. Hmm. I've been to Denver. It's not where I would, like, connect omelets to. Although it is the place with the first Chipotle store, <clears throat> which is my favorite restaurant. So it's got that going for it. And it has some pretty cool mountains. And apparently good omelets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this morning we're talking about a passage from 1 Timothy. I'm not exactly sure what the title will be of this episode yet. Contentment. Yeah, but not contempt. As in, like, contempt of court or the anger you feel towards someone. Yeah. <laughs> A grudge. But content as in uh, your satisfaction in things. I do have a definition. Oh, well then that would be great. Homemade definition. Okay. Contentment is... Got your pencils ready? I don't have a pencil or a pen on me. Com- 
Contentment is confidence in God's adequate provisions. Okay. I can see that. That makes sense to me. And I think it makes sense given the passage we're about to read, too. Yeah. Speaking of which, why don't you go ahead and, and, and try to read that? Yeah. So we got First, first Timothy three, 6. <laughs> I was about to say it, but you got it. <laughs> 6 through 10. Now, this starts in the middle of a thought. Right. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into, the, into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That verse 10 is a very highly quoted passage in Scripture. The love of money, well, most people say the love of money is the root of all evil. Money. Yep. That's usually what people quote, but the love of money is the root, the root of all sorts of evil, not all evil. Yeah. But the context around that passage is, is, I think, more important than that passage, that just that section itself. Yeah. I like how uh, the beginning of verse 6 says that godliness is a means of great gain. So, like, if we just read that, Paul, it would sound like maybe, oh, is Paul preaching, like, prosperity gospel? Or something, you know, like, oh yeah, if you're god godly, you're gonna have everything. Everything. You're gonna be rich. You're gonna be, you know, Joel Osteen's, you know, dream <laughs> here. Um, but it's the phrase at the end, when accompanied by contentment, that kind of. It, 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 that is the phrase that qualifies everything that Paul says. You know, everything yeah. here has to be met with being content yeah. with what you have. And I, I just thought that this would connect very well if you're going to have a sermon on contentment. Okay. Connect very well with Paul's passage about the thorn in the flesh. Okay. When God says, Whoa, my grace is sufficient. Mm -hmm. Your problem and my grace is better than no problem at all. Mm -hmm. It's the one of the only like negatively answered prayers in Scripture. Well, negative in the sense it wasn't a yes. You know, it was a no, like, hey, remove this thorn. No, you know, I'm enough. Yes. So, contentment. Being satisfied with what God gives you. What more do you need? Money? A longer life? A healthier life? 
All you can eat bacon. <laughs> Which I think would decrease your quality and length of life. Yeah. You've, you've had all you can eat bacon. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was at Christian Worker Seminar in Tennessee. <coughs> it's a Christian event. So I was a kid there. My parents were going, and there was a breakfast buffet that had all-you-could-eat bacon. And I remember just chowing down on bacon. It was like my fourth plate of bacon. My dad said, you can't eat any more bacon. I was like, I want to eat more bacon, though. He's like, if you don't stop now, things are going to get bad for you. Which my stomach did hurt afterwards. Good thing I stopped at three plates of bacon or whatever instead of four or five. At that moment, I was not content in what I had been provided. Matthew six twenty four. That's exactly what I was thinking too. Was it really? Yeah. Read it. Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And then he goes on to say, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Then he uses the analogies of the earth is taken care of, the, you know, the animals are fed, not a single sparrow, you know, goes unnoticed, or the even Solomon in all of his glory couldn't be as beautiful as the fields that God takes care of, and they just are there for a second and then they vanish. Yeah. Says, are you not more valuable than any so of these things? So Jesus is encouraged. Sounds like to me that Jesus is encouraging us towards contentment. Yep. But he never uses the word. Yep, for sure. And, but he finishes off all of his comments with, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Yeah. Have confidence in God's adequate provisions. Mm-hmm. And that, that, to me, opens up a a wide range of possibilities. If we're content with what God gives us, we're not going to be discontent with our job or our spouse or our kids. Our car. A car, yeah. (laughs) You know, advertising will no longer bend us to the will of the seller. Man, if only I could drive a Lincoln, then I could be as cool as Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) And there's a a psalm that comes to mind. 121. This, you know, speaking of contentment, it's only eight verses. I'll read it. Okay. You contemplate. I will. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Certainly sounds like it covers most circumstances, <laughs> not all. Can you have confidence in that? Yeah. It's written. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if it's written, we can have confidence. As long as it's not scribbled on Chuck's napkin, you know, if it's in, if it's in scripture, it is confidence. It is true. God is the makers of the heavens and the earth, which means everything in the heavens and the earth belongs to him. Yep. It's all under his control. It's his dominion. His, he is uh, what we call sovereign over it. He has the authority. And this makes me think back to that passage in Matthew 6 where Jesus says that you can't serve two masters. You serve God or you serve wealth. And I've been Googling and after all of my searching and years of Bible study and Bible college, I never found a verse that talks about the, the riches of the earth making people or, you know, nowhere does it say gold made the heavens and the earth and nowhere does it say that gold is our helper and will shade us and protect us there is one <laughs> and there are some passages that say that money is useful for sure but yeah Isaiah I think I'd have to look it up I think I know what you're talking about now wealth isn't bad you know money isn't no it's it's not inherently evil in and of, of itself it's a neutral object but you when know. it gets in between you and god mm -hmm. don't hold on to it yep which goes with anything in life almost everything is a neutral object yeah and it's about how it's used how we see it, our relationship with that stuff, yeah. is what makes it good or bad. Yes. I remember years back, there was a, a young man who was in a fitful way because his girlfriend didn't want him. Mm. And he said, I, I put her on a pedestal and she was everything to my life. Mistake number one. <laughs> yep. Everything will let you down except God. You think? I know. I've experienced. Yeah. <laughs> Not, I mean, I'm only 27. So, you know, my life isn't as long lived as somebody's <laughs> in proximity to me. But, you know, I've definitely seen how. Pretty much everything fails at some point. Yep. Except God. God never fails. 
You don't catch them sleeping <laughs> or dozing. Yeah, it's like a Eli Elijah on the mountaintop. You know he's he what he's mocking. Yeah, he's mocking the other guys. Like maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's gone. Maybe he's using the bathroom. You know, <laughs> just chant a little louder. Maybe he'll hear you. Maybe he's asleep. God doesn't grow weary. Mm -hmm. Now that, to me, is amazing. I've only been awake for three hours, and I'm growing weary. <laughs> yeah, the alarm went off, and I was almost too lazy to shut it off. <laughs> Just sit there and listen to it beeping at you. Yeah, but then my wife gave me the... The Courage. <laughs> a nice jab of into the side with an elbow. Good motivation. Yeah. The story of content, content, contentment is also just a story of priorities. Exactly. And Deuteronomy six ten through twelve, I think, does a good job of. You know, this, this principle isn't something new in Timothy. No. It goes to the beginning of the book. So, when the Lord, your God, brings you to the land he promised, your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, fine cities you did not build, houses filled with choice things you did not accumulate, hewn out cisterns you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. And you eat your fill, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you there. Exactly. And so this is God setting the priorities for the people of Israel. And he's saying, listen, you're about to inherit my blessings. You know, the good things. And things that you didn't even work for. You know, things that you didn't even know existed, I'm going to give you. But he says, when you get there, don't forget that I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the place of slavery. I put you here. Don't lose sight of me. Don't forget me. You know? And that's really what happens when we're drawn in by wealth. When we, when we love money, we forget where all that stuff came from. And we look at it, and we lose focus on everything else. Yeah. The Proverbs 23, 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not overwork to be rich, because of your own understanding, stop. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? Well, let's see now. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. <laughs> Here today and gone tomorrow. And I always think of the Great Depression, the stock market crash, mm -hmm. when I read that. That it, we're rich, we're on top, we're doing well. And whatever we plan, we want to go to Hawaii or to Florida or to Germany, 
We got it covered. We can afford it. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> you know, two years ago when I turned 70, I wanted to go to Germany. You're old. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was before I was old. <laughs> anyway, we had it all planned out. Mm-hmm. And all figured out. We were going, we were making plans, and boom. COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And you know what happened to our plans? They flew away like an eagle toward us. <laughs> <laughs> or more like they were grounded because yeah. you weren't allowed on a plane. <laughs> and then we had to wait to get our money back from the airline. Mm-hmm. We finally did. Most of it. Yep. <sighs> yeah. Everybody, uh, Everybody doesn't realize the finite nature of things. Yeah. And that's what I think scripture does is it gives us perspective. You know, it lets us see beyond ourselves and experience. And it gives us the truth that God has, which is that things in this world are finite. And it's like First uh, Peter 3, when... He's talking about the coming of the end of the age. And he says, people are just, they're going to say, the sun has risen every single day. You know, yesterday was like the day before that and the day before that. And tomorrow is going to be the same way. You know, they don't realize even the finite nature of the cycles of the world that we take for granted. And he says, it's going to be like in the days of Noah. Everybody thought everything was fine until that first drop of water hit their nose. Yeah. They're like, oh, I guess maybe Noah wasn't crazy, you know? That's funny. Out in Pomona, we were cleaning the churchyard, and uh, my wife and another lady were hauling stuff to the dumpster and throwing it in. And a raindrop hit the other lady on the head. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> <laughs> it hadn't rained in so long. I had to take a refresher course how to turn the wipers on on the car. <laughs> <laughs> there is a another example here, just of how easy it is for people to lose track and uh, to not be content in what God has provided. So there's uh, in Joshua chapter 7 they are moving into the promised land. Joshua is the leader that followed Moses. And uh, they are invading the city and God says don't take anything out of it. You know don't take anything and there's this man named Aiken who is going to be Aiken soon um kind of foreshadowing but he ends up taking some stuff right that he wasn't supposed to so Joshua sent uh men from Jericho to a city called Ai and then they have had good success so far and then end up the people I chase out his men and they kill some of them and he you know tears his clothes and he's upset and he says God why have you 
you know, taking your favor away from us. You said you were going to help us in this and make us successful. And he's like, well, that's because the stuff that I banned for you to take, someone's taken. And you need to get rid of that stuff before you have my favor. You know, you, you've lost sight of me and for this stuff. And so... Which is... A- I would think another way to talk about repentance. For Get sure. Get rid of it. Yeah. Like, just throw it away. It's not keep it next to you and be like, I don't know. Nah. It's like, just throw it all away and destroy it. It's not godly. Just get rid of it. And so, I'll read this passage Okay, here. yes, please. This is what happens. Uh, Joshua 7, verses 16. So Joshua arose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of Zeharites. And he brought the family of Zeharites near by the man. And Zabdi was taken. He brought his household near near man by man. And Achan uh, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to God of Israel. Praise him and tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did when I saw some among the spoil, a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. I then coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers. They ran to the tent. They got the stuff. And he brought um, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkey, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to Achan. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And he said, why have you troubled us? You know, like, why have you been disobedient? And he says, the Lord will trouble you this day. (laughs) And uh, then all of Israel stoned everything in their household, all the animals and destroyed everything with fire. And then God's favor returned. And it's kind of this uh, first example. You know, it's, it's a big example that we see here of what happens when we let ourselves be overtaken by our greed and our desires. Yeah. The, uh, one of the things that haunts me in that story is Aiken thinks, I got it covered up. It's hidden in the tent. Mm-hmm. It's and hidden where no one else, it's my private space. No one else can see it. Yeah. And God directs Joshua to call out this tribe. Yeah, call out this bigger family, and he then he narrows it down. <laughs> yep. Squeezes, mm-hmm. squeezes till Aiken pops out. <laughs> yep. So that puts me in mind of Galatians 6-7. Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit with will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Hmm. Don't mock God. Don't even try. Don't think about it. 
it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. He'll put the pressure on and squeeze you right out. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that it is a, a self-deception. And maybe, uh, and we're nudged that direction by the work of Satan himself too sometimes. It's a temptation yes. that's put before us. Look at where you can be satisfied with this. Mm -hmm. Philippians 4.19, Paul sums it up again this way. Not only speaking by, or writing by inspiration, but by experience as well. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. And my God shall supply all your need according to the, his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I love how it says his riches, according to his riches. Yeah. Which is almost comical. <laughs> because you're like, well, how do you define God's riches? You know, what kind of value... How much American dollars does his riches compare to? You know, you think of the wealthiest people in the world. Bill Gates, yeah. you know, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon, Elon Musk, and you think Jeff Bezos, and you think how many of those guys would it take to equal God's riches? And then you take every single dollar they own and you multiply it by that many dollars and they are still not even close to the riches of God. Because he is his rich, his riches, his character, who he is, and he's infinite. Yep. According to his goodness, his love. And then on top of that, he's made and owns everything. And if he needs more of something, he can just make it. You know? It's, it's not... It into existence. Like yeah. uh, President Reagan had said that other than taxes... The government has two ways to raise money. One is to borrow it. The other is to print it. <laughs> yep. Both of them are bad. That's why we have inflation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And if God wanted more gold, you think he's forgotten the recipe? <laughs> I don't think so. Right. So Paul, is, to me, is like saying, I don't know what God you're following or worshiping, but my God can supply all you need. Mm -hmm. Not the God of the lottery. <laughs> or yep. the God of uh, retirement accounts. The God of 401k. Yeah. <laughs> the God yeah. of Roth IRAs. <laughs> but my God can supply all your need. All you need. Mm -hmm. Just be content with what he gives us. Yeah. And, th and there is a legitimate danger to the gospel in the heart of man because of wealth. And Jesus makes that point clear in Matthew 13. It's the parable of the seed or the parable of the soils, yeah. however you want to talk about it. But this particular when he says the seed is sown among the thorns is the person who hears the word 
but the worldly cares and the seductiveness, seductiveness of wealth chokes the word so that it produces nothing. It's kind of this idea of there's no, there's not enough good soil left. There's, the roots of wealth in the world have so filled everything that there's no place for the seed to grow and take root. So it's just choked out and it withers and it dies. Which I think is what happens to people when they hear the word and they, they're like, oh yeah, this is true. This is good. I believe it. But then nothing comes of it. You know, there's no actual fruit that comes from hearing this good word and believing it because there's no room for it to grow and thrive in their hearts. So sometimes you have to get rid of junk to make room for the good, which I'm sure Amber would love to hear because she loves throwing stuff away. It's like her hobby. <laughs> she loves to get rid of stuff. She's like, if I haven't used it in a couple of years, then I doubt I'm going to use it again, you know? Because you ain't going to have it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Paul gives us some understanding, I think, that contentment can be learned. Yeah. Philippians 4, 12. <laughs> I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere... And in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He expresses it this way. I have been instructed. I have learned. I've been taught. Mm -hmm. I don't remember this, the numbers in the psalm, but it was God saying, I will guide you with my eyes. I'll have my eyes on you. You're not going to be in the dark to me. Paul learned how I know how to have plenty, and I know how to live and want. Mm -hmm. And I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Yeah. Verse 13 isn't, shouldn't be plucked out. <laughs> I can win this football game because I believe in Jesus. <laughs> yeah. That ain't going to work. But contentment, you know you're not content when you're complaining, right? Give our listeners some indication of discontent. I remember learning a lesson about content, contentment. I was a uh, early teenager, maybe, and I was complaining about the food we were eating for at dinner. At home? Yeah, at home. Oh boy. And I was, and I was like, like, well, this is what we have. And I was like, I live in the United States. Why can't I choose what I want to eat every single day? You know, I was just being a snotty-nosed brat about it. And I can't remember everything I said. But the lesson I learned that my parents taught me was you don't always have to have 
exactly what you want to be okay with it. You know, you can you can learn to be content even in a situation like this, which, you know, that's a good minor place to learn it and at the dinner table. With loving parents. Yeah, because there's a lot of worse ways to learn that lesson. But it reminds me that not only can contentment be learned like we saw in Philippians from like Paul, but it can be taught, which is also what Paul is doing in Philippians. He's instructing the Philippians to be content. And so I think that comes back to us as Christians, um, both spiritually mature Christians and young Christians, to influence each other and the people around us to learn contentment by how we posture ourselves, by how we talk about money, yes, by how we use our resources, time. And we can we can kind of flip the script on modern society and when someone says why don't you have this or that why aren't you trying to do this or that you can say because I'm content with where I'm at and what I have yeah yeah good point very good point the uh, there was something else that your little comment brought up to my mind that Paul James, that was it. James was talking about don't brag about what you're going to do tomorrow. Yep. You never know what's going to happen. So there you go. How much of a how much control do you have? Trust the one who's got the control. Yeah. Let your confidence in him grow. Mm-hmm. It'll be a whole better life. Absolutely. You won't be looking for the next new thing. The better relationship. That's what Paul, Paul says in First Timothy. Godliness is actually means to great gain when accompanied by contentment. You can actually live a good life now, but more importantly in the future. Yes. I'm not talking about like next year. I'm talking about in the age to come, you know, the eternity where your reliance on God now pays a dividend that's bigger than anything this world can offer. Storing up treasure in heaven. Yep. Well, there ain't no stinking insects that are going to eat it away. Yeah. What no. was that Bitcoin company? FTX? Yeah, the, the trading company that crashed. Yeah. I was watching old commercials, Super Bowl commercials, and FTX had a commercial. Mm-hmm. I remember that commercial. Yep. It, like an eagle, sprouted wings and flew away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Never to be seen again. Well, I think that's a good place for us to end it for today. I thank you guys for listening, and... I encourage you guys to reach out to us at breakfasttheology at gmail.com with thoughts, comments, critiques, ideas. Yes. If you're not content with our content. (laughs) And you think we are in contempt of your preferences. Send us an email and let us know. (laughs) And we will. You won't hurt Josiah's (laughs) feelings a bit. Nope. Because I'm content. (laughs) 
Thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Goodbye.